0: Amen. What a wonderful song, especially to trans transition us into today's uh, Sunday school lesson. Let me pray for us um, before we get started. Uh, Father in heaven, Lord, we're just th- so thankful, and we praise your name with gratitude in our hearts for the redeeming love that you placed uh, that you that you that you placed upon us. That you have mightily worked in us uh, in this redemptive plan, Lord, that you have begun in our in the midst of doing and our finishing in our lives and in the world cosmically and uh, even down with people themselves, Lord, you are redeeming the whole cosmos, and uh, Lord, help us to fix our eyes on Christ today, help us to understand the spiritual truths that are written in scripture, and I pray that you would Uh, Help me, Lord, to teach this with clarity, and you would apply it by your Spirit to our hearts, that we wouldn't just be hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word. And Lord, I pray that you would be with us in this time, and place your hand on this, and bless it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. This is on? Okay. Amen. Well, today's uh, Sunday School lesson is going to be over the nature and importance of sanctification. I know that Emilio is going through in Hebrews uh, he was really just getting out of, but in today he'll be in a section in Hebrews twelve fourteen that says pursue peace and the holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Uh, holiness and the word sanctification uh, really in Old Testament and New Testament are words that are often used interchangeably. They come from the same uh, Greek root. Uh, used in different places to uh, speak of maturity, to speak of uh, progress, to speak of perfection, to speak of uh, many different things. Um, but I wanted to get into this and and tackle this from uh, an angle of divine necessity, God's redemptive work in Christ, and what has to happen for man to be accepted before God. This is called the dilemma of man, right? As a result of the fall, man has inherited the guilt of sin, and he has inherited the defilement of sin and before we get started, um, who can give me a definition of what I mean when I say the guilt of sin that he has inherited the guilt of sin um, what does that mean, I mean he's sinless, he's never sinned, our sin. no or, or I'm sorry, in respect to fallen man he is in a, he is in uh, he has inherited the guilt of sin sure right that's right that 's right so in in a state of the guilt of sin would all men by virtue of uh by virtue of their union you could say right with adam being their federal head we have all inherited the guilt of sin the guilt of sin meaning we have all inherited and we stand in right a state of deserving condemnation right the guilt the the guilt of violating god's law which is deserving of punishment this is a state of condemnation that we stand in right because of we have violated god's law the defilement of sin by this we mean that sin has caused or affected death in us, and thereby has corrupted us, right? We sometimes refer to total depravity. And this is because man, because he has inherited the guilt of sin, uh, has been corrupted uh, completely, and has been subdued and subjected under sin's power, right? And this is not by force, but he gladly submits to sin's power, right? Right? This is something he willingly submits to. And so as it was a part of God's redemptive plan and design uh, to recover and redeem a chosen people, what he has to do to accept them is redeem them and recover them from their fallenness, right? And he has to take away the guilt of sin. And he has to take away the defilement of sin. Everybody understand that? You know, if you have any questions, I, I I can rephrase things or give you the definitions for some of these things. And so because of what Jesus Christ has done in accomplishing redemption through his cross work, right, by willingly giving himself in the stead of sinners who have violated God's law, who deserve God's punishment, right? He undertook the appeasing of the wrath of God upon himself. And because he did that, God can act and deal with us in mercy. Does that make sense? Because of what Jesus Christ did, by taking away our wrath, by taking away uh, the guilt of sin, right? By bearing our sins and the penalty of our sins, God can now deal with man in mercy. And we see this, this twofold dilemma of man, the guilt of sin, the defilement of sin, we see God dealing with it in time by virtue of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So the guilt of sin, how does God take it away? It's a question I'm asking. How does God take away the guilt of sin? How has he dealt with it in Christ? Death. Through, death. Through death? Absolutely. By the shedding of blood? So because uh, this, is, this is what God does. He removes the guilt of sin... By virtue of what Jesus Christ suffered on our behalf, bearing a penalty of our sins, and we call this removal of sin, right? God does this when we receive the righteousness of Christ. And what does he call you? You're not guilty, but you are justified, right? You are, you are not guilty, but you are, right? You're righteous. So God takes away the guilt of sin. Um, when he justifies us and makes us righteous. That's, when, that's the first way. Justification is the means by which God takes away the guilt of sin. That's dilemma number one. Dilemma number two is the defilement of sin, right? And we see God, in a twofold way, remove the corruption of sin, the defilement of sin. We see God definitively removing the power of sin over us sin shall not have dominion over you he removes the power of sin definitively once for all right it's a it's a decisive act of god a final act of god not to be repeated this is what god does definitively and he progressively removes the presence of sin in us which is called what sanctification Sanctification. so sanctification is a definitive act of god meaning In one sense, this is what God does one time, in a moment of time, never to be repeated. This is what we see in Scripture, that we are sanctified by faith. I'll go through some of these verses. There is a sense in Scripture which sanctification, as we know, is spoken of in two senses. One of those is that you are sanctified, right? And that's speaking about a definitive sanctification, and we're going to... Uh, We're going to get into these. And then the other one is progressive sanctification. So one of them God does in a moment of time by faith. Um, And this is the sanctification begun. Sanctification received is sanctification begun. And then God progressively, although he's already removed the power of sin, he progressively removes the presence of sin. This is what God does in sanctification. Any questions? Is that clear? Okay. So let's uh, let's set let's uh, let's set some some perimeters if we if we if we could. The differences. What are the differences between justification and sanctification? Uh,
1: One is declared as
0: righteous. Okay. Right. Sure. Sure. Brother? I think it's uh, regarding
1: justification. Romans 5 1. Therefore, having been hmm. justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. So, uh, immediately, you're put in a position of reconciliation with God hmm. through faith in the act of justification. And whereas sanctification, uh, you're going to move unto be more Christ like.
0: Of your justification. <coughs> good. That is good. Right? I think one is um, done by Christ alone, we play no part in it. The other is we have an aspect of the center, like, synergistic as far as sanctification being uh, the work of Christ in us as well as
1: us. You know, we work,
0: um, our salvation here mm. Amen. Amen. We'll get into that. Because what we do see is sanctification and justification. Sanctification in one sense is definitive, just like justification. And then in another sense, we see that God is, right? We are working out our sanctification. Um, so justification does, by virtue of what it declares, that you are accepted by God, is the foundation upon which, right? We have a foundation, uh, upon which the house of sanctification stands right uh, justification is not something that happens inside of you but where not a trick question it's outside of you right it's, it's not something that happens inside of you but justification is something that happens outside of you uh, it's not a transformative act but it's something that god he credits to your account not to you but to your account, sanctification, on the other hand, is something that God does inside of you. Justification outside of you is the foundation that God lays before he sanctifies you. That's something that he does inside of you. And that is the superstructure, if he would. So one is to our account and one is to our person, right? So when we talk about justification, by how many parties, right? By how many parties... Uh, how many parties undertake the work of justification? One party. Anybody else? Three parties for the work of justification? <laughs> You're getting at the—he's getting at the Godhead. I understand this. It was almost heretical, but we understand. <laughs> and I saw some heads. So I'm like, who's this guy? Yeah, that's right. Um, justification and sanctification um okay so this is done by uh one party right here one party and this is something that is done outside of your person to your account and what kind of ism is this monergism right that's weird. That's a weird question. You guys know. So this is a, this is a, uh, monitor. Ooh, that's <sighs> <I'm>... <sighs> okay. We're going to get, we're going to get this moner, right? And a uh, sanctification. Now sanctification began is not a two person work. It's not a two person work as a as a as acts goes on and says that they are sanct we are sanctified by faith sanctification be uh, received right is sanctification begun but it is not sanctification perfected right it's a process to be pursued although we have the status of one who is sanctified right so, sancti- so sanctification begun this is a work that god does in a definitive sense just like justification but sanctification as a process we're gonna we're gonna say that that is by two parties. It happens inside, inside us. It it transforms our moral character. And if it's not monergistic, what is it? Synergistic. Synergistic. Are you that right? Okay. So, you have. This uh, definitive sanctification, which is monergistic, progressive sanctification, which is synergistic, one of them done by one party, progressive sanctification done by two parties. So before we get into today's topic, one of the things I wanted to talk about was a lot of times you hear that some people say that uh, you can have faith without having the evidence of faith. Is that true or false? Why is that false? <clears throat> genuine faith produces genuine repentance, and repentance is your works, right? That's 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 the evidence. So some people, right? They just say that. Well, they're just immature, um, but they believe in Jesus, right? They may be carnal, but you know, but they believe in Christianity. What they're really saying is this: I believe in justification, but I don't believe in sanctification. That's what that's what they're really saying. And, and Paul, yes. Mm-hmm. To do what? To, to change you. To change you, exactly. A lot of people have this notion, right? And it's poor. Pastors don't teach these things. A lot of people have this notion that you can be, you know what? I believed in Jesus, therefore I'm saved. But they have absolutely no evidence that they're saved. But they rely on a belief that they, that they hold to. Now, salvation is absolutely by faith alone. But there is a sanctification, that is also by faith alone and it's and it's and it's a decisive act that god does in a moment of time not over your life so what i'm saying is by virtue of your union with christ you will bear fruit right you will bear fruit and that is necessary right without faith without works your faith is dead um i think brother keith had his hand up first um, james 2:14 what use is it my brethren someone says he,
1: right. he has faith no right
0: right Right, amen. Jonathan? Um, just using an illustration, if any of us met a bullet train going 200 miles an hour head on, it would change us. It would change God us. More power than a he does. Amen. It, it is, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you cannot meet God and not be changed. Um, Anybody else raise their hand over here? Did you, brother? That's right. Like that That's right. That's right. And Brother Rom? Yeah, um, I mean, I brought up Romans 5
1: earlier regarding justification, um, and, and Romans 6 is a great segue
0: into sanctification. Right, um, right. You know, we, <laughs> we, been, we <clears throat>
1: sin so that grace sins may increase, may it never be, how shall we try to sin still live in it, or do hmm. you not know that all of us who been baptized into his death. Hmm. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the
0: Father, so we might walk in newness of life. Amen. Amen. That's actually I'm gonna to get to that passage. That's actually um a bedrock of, of sanctification passages. It's decisive language. Language that happens in a moment of time. Right? How can we who died to sin still live in it? That's incredible, that's incredible because we're dying to sin, aren't we? Can we really have said to have died to sin at one time when we're in a process of dying to sin? Paul does. Right? He says that, how can you? Right? How can you who has died to sin still live in it? And so, this is what Paul believes about sanctification right first Corinthians six nine through eleven he says, or do you not know right so he is as a he is pastorally writing this letter and he is he is touching on a lot of the areas and issues that they're dealing with at, in corinth but In 1 Corinthians 6, he's, he's, he's just regarding the immorality going on. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor uh, drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. So Paul sees and believes in sanctification in the same way that he believes in justification. That's how he's using this, this, uh, this thing. here. He's not saying, don't you know that you are being sanctified? He doesn't say that. He says, but such were some of you, but you were sanctified. Right. So he's addressing their sin and pointing to a moment of time whereby God acted on their behalf. Right. And he declared them righteous. That's their justification. And he set them apart from a life of sin unto a life of service to God. He's saying, don't you remember when God did that in your life? Don't you remember when God saved you? And this is how he did it. And both of these things all of these things which washing probably refers to the washing of regeneration what god is going to fulfill uh, by virtue of his covenantal uh, the prof- the prophecies that he's going uh, of the in the old testament that he's going to fulfill in the new testament that he would sprinkle us clean and wash us and so to say that well they're just a carnal christian right Th- that's no excuse uh it's not a rock to be rested on if you just say, "Well, they believe in Jesus," but I know you don't see any of the evidence of that, um, but I think that they are, you know, truly in the faith. It's it's no it's not a rock to stand on, right? Uh, it gives you no assurance of that person's faith. Uh, uh, James would say that's not a good argument. He would he would say his response is like uh, like what uh, one of the brothers had said earlier. What use is it? That's what he says in James two fourteen, speaking of the faith which does not produce works. What use is it? Yeah, have that kind of faith. What use is it? That's exactly what he says. And then he immediately compares that faith to the devil's faith. That same faith. He compares it to the devil's faith. He says, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? In verse 17, he says, even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead if it is by itself. Right? So faith without works is dead. Justification without sanctification is meaningless. Right? Justification without sanctification is meaningless. Uh, In other words, justification without holiness is meaningless. According to James, who was led by the Spirit of God to write this, your works justify whether or not you have true and saving faith. Right? The evidential proof of your justification, what is it? Your works, which is what? Your sanctification. Right? You will know them by their fruit. Right? This is the evidence of your justification, your sanctification. I, say,
1: uh, I guess there's always that scary thing of going too far, you know, doing your works in order to try to produce justification, you know, which I guess is the dangerous part of, part of
0: that. You know? That's right. So one, I mean, like you need to get these right, right? When we speak, you have to, right? You you know, like when we're, um, when we're speaking about a train, right? There are all of these different cars that are connected to this train, and these are the different order, right? They're all connected as one salvation that God is working in you, but He's doing it in order. And he's, and he's, and he's doing it in different ways, right? By calling and, uh, regeneration, justification, sanctification. Uh, he's using all of these, but the carts on this train have to be in the right place. You cannot have sanctification before justification, right? Because then you'll be trying to work and try to merit, huh? I said you're a Roman Catholic at that point. You are a Roman Catholic at that point because they believe in faith plus something. And that, that is the nature of justifi- that is the nature of sanctification, but it isn't the nature of justification. And so this is why you have a lot of Christians, they're like, I am just tired of Christianity. It's not getting me anywhere. You know, I'm trying, I'm trying my hardest in Christianity to do all these things, and I'm, I'm reading my Bible, I'm in my prayer closet, I'm going to church, and they're trying to merit their salvation. They're putting sanctification before justification. And that's what Christianity is. I mean, you're not going to receive any benefit from the grace of God if you're basing, right, your acceptance with God based upon your own works because your own works fall utterly short, woefully short of the works of Jesus Christ. And only his are acceptable. Does that make sense? For we are his workmanship, right? So after Jesus Christ justifies us, saves us, sanctifies us and sets us apart from a life of sin to a life of service unto God. It says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, that's your union with Christ for good works. So the result of your union with Jesus Christ is your sanctification for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Right this is our obedience to God from the heart not trying to merit God's acceptance uh, based off of our own works Jeffrey
1: Hmm. I don't think, oh, wait, am I doing enough works here or there? It's like the joy of the Lord is my strength. I don't even think about it, I just am, and I do. Hmm. It's like a blessing, so it's like you know, love, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy. We have peace with God, Romans 5,
0: we're talking about that. Right.
1: Right. And he guides the leaders.
0: Amen. Amen. The life of Christianity will be, if you're not seeking the favor of God through faith by grace, it's going to be a drudgery. Terrible. It's misery, right? That's what it is. When people always explain like their life before Christ, I was running and I was running and I was working and I was working, but to him who does not work, right? But by faith believes in Christ and by faith appropriates what Jesus Christ purchased for him on the cross and applies it to his soul right that is what is acceptable to God yes brother yeah I know we had this conversation a while back and uh I thought about the discussion I had with a friend and I said in sanctification um works are a necessity Mhm They are a necessity that's right. Your works are a necessity. That's why I think that it's such a to understand sanctification is important. And as you guys, you guys know, um, you're going to be a, you're going to be around by God's grace better theology than most churches. They don't understand sanctification. And what we're really getting down to is the lordship of Christ. That's what we're really getting down to. And Jesus said in Luke, forget the passage, forget the chapter, but he says that 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 Why do you call me Lord if you do not do what I tell you to? Is that 646? So this is the lordship of Christ. And we're talking about sanctification. They believe, well, I got saved, but I don't think that I have to actually um, uh, repent, that I don't actually have to um, produce good works, even though the Bible says your works. Right. If your faith is alone. Uh, It means that it is a dead faith. And so by necessity, your faith must produce good works. That's why we say they are necessity. Your works are necessities of your faith. A healthy faith has works. Can you say something? Yeah, um, I I was just going to point to Ephesians
1: 1. And it says that I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. Mm. Greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, mm. which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. And then jump immediately to Ephesians 2 1. And you are dead in your and sins in which you formerly walked, according to the power, uh, the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, mm. of the spirit. Sons of disobedience, among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Mm. But God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So when you come into to to this type of a power uh, uh, and type of grace and mercy, how can this not immediately transform your
0: mind to the point of action, of different action? Amen. Amen. And uh, that's exactly, you go on down, you go on through that passage, right? Yeah. It, it's that we, for we are His workmanship. We're not our own workmanship, right? We did not, we did not produce the environment that put us in the, the, this, this place where we are now existing, but Christ, we are His workmanship. He is the potter, we are the clay. And, um, and we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Word, uh, from yeah. Well, that's the goal. That's the goal. I don't think that it's saying you will do it perfectly, but but you will fall short of walking in the will of God, uh, walking in these good works. He has good works prepared for us, um, but it's just saying that this is the goal of being created and being saved in Christ Jesus, that you would walk in him. So I believe it's basically painting the, the goal of your union with Christ is to fulfill those good works that were prepared for you. No I, no, I believe it is. I, be, I believe it is saying, I believe it is, I, be, I, I think that the overarching message is that uh, the goal is that we should be doing this. But it's absolutely true that we will do this. Um, like producing, I believe that's just called fruit. Um, by virtue of our union with Christ, like Jesus says that I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I am him. He produces much fruit. And so I believe that's what he's saying. He will walk in this way. So I believe it is definitive. You will walk in that, and it is the goal of your union with Christ at the same time. Does that make sense? I don't think you'll walk in it perfectly, right? Oh, and we're going to get to that too. So definitive sanctification. So I just, that was kind of an introduction. I know we don't have too much time, but definitive sanctification. J.C. Ryle says this, There are three things which, according to the Bible, are absolutely necessary to the salvation of every man and woman in Christendom. Right? He says these are justification, regeneration, and sanctification. All three meet in every child of God. He is both born again, justified, and sanctified. And I love this. I love this. Uh, this quote by John Murray, speaking about definitive sanctification. He says, "When we speak of sanctification, he says we generally think of it as that process." Listen to the words here. By that he says we generally think of it as that process by which the believer is gradually transformed in heart, mind, and will and conduct, and conformed more and more to the will of God and to the image of Christ, until at death the disembodied spirit is made perfect in holiness, and at the resurrection his body likewise will be conformed to the likeness of the body of Christ's glory. And so, of course, John Murray, that's what we all think when we think about sanctification as <laughs> something. So perfect is that. Uh Brother Chris. Three um, you know, justification, regeneration, sanctification, sanctification. He's talking about definitive That's right. Yeah. Progressive, Oh right. But you're progressive, he's just saying sanctification is because progressive sanctification isn't needed to be saved. Well yeah, sanctification sanctification as something, as a as a as a work in you that must be begun by God, is a necessity. What some people were doing, and they still do it, right? They deny the lordship of Christ, which is your sanctification. But he was sanctified. Yeah, but so so when Scripture is speaking about uh, sanctification... There is a balanced, there's a balanced view, but your progressive sanctification is latched onto, like there's not two different kinds of sanctification. We understand that the Bible speaks of this one great sanctification that begins by, by the grace of God, but that is begun, right? That is, that is pursued, right? Uh, that is pursued um, by works and by faith, right? And so, there's, the Bible's not saying that, like, you were sanctified, you know, this way, and then you were sanctified this way. But there's a sanctification process that, when you received it, it was sanctification begun, but it was not perfected, right? And so that is what we are doing in Christ, is God is perfecting this sanctification. But the way which we receive it is not by works, right? It is by virtue of, uh, by virtue of its attachment, it is inseparably linked to justification. Right, and that's not something you do by works. So there is the process to be pursued, but what I'm saying is sanctification as a whole is absolutely necessary. Right, so you can't, so you can't, you can't deny, you can't deny the need, um, you can't deny the need for works and to live holy. He's saying no, sanctification, a life of holiness, is absolutely necessary because it's inseparably linked for justification. If you don't have sanctification, you don't have justification. If You don't have justification. You don't have regeneration. They're all, all inseparably linked. Like you know, like he says in um, he says in Hebrews twelve fourteen. Pursue peace with all men and the holiness. And that holiness, that word means sanctification. Your NASB will say sanctification. Pursue peace and the sanctification, without which no man shall see the Lord. And so he is basing a necessity on sanctification. But it isn't, uh, it, it but of course, so the, so I'm saying that the act whereby, whereby God sanctifies us is absolutely necessary for our salvation. It's done in Christ. But you don't, but, uh, but I'm also not saying that you're the one, right, like dependent upon how you end your sanctification. Sure. Right. Right. So there's a verse in Acts 26, right? It says that God was sending Paul to the Gentiles, right, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God that they may receive Acts 26:18 uh that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And so this is speaking about a sanctification that has been finished. It's a it's a sanctification begun. Right. And we also know that it's spoke, spoken of in, in a sense where it's a process to be pursued. So the initial work of sanctification, right, which is done by God, is absolutely necessary. And so when we this is very crucial for for um, for engaging with people who are not like Paul, he would say, were you not sanctified? Right. Like he does in first Corinthians six. He sees it as being necessary and he sees it as something that God did in a moment of time when they were saved. And so there is a, there's a balance, of course, and I want to tread on that lightly. You know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to create the, what, what you're, what you're not, you're not, you don't merit your sanctification. You know what I'm saying? But it's necessary for, for salvation. But you don't do that. Is that, is that, is that, is that clear? Is that more clear? I, I, think, I think Galatians 2.20 clears that up. Oh, amen. That's good. Um, I,
1: the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me so in other words it is it is, it is Christ the one who is producing that within you it is not you who takes credit for right. that and that all the good works that are
0: done are done in Christ and it mm. is him who is working that and willing that in you. amen amen I, I, amen that's and that's good and that's a reason, right, you go back to Philippians, I believe it's Philippians 2, right, uh, 13, and it, and it says that you should work. That's part of sanctification, not justification. So sanctification is work, but you work out your salvation, and this is the manner, with fear and trembling, Right? So we should not be working out our salvation in idleness because that's clearly not fear and trembling. And it's not talking about, you know, that you're, you're working in some kind of like paralyzing fear, but it is. Uh, you're, 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 you're walking in your, this, in, in a manner of fear and trembling because God is your partner in your sanctification. Because you're working with the King of Glory. I mean, because of what he's done for you on the cross and what he's perfecting in you. We should f- work with fear and trembling because God who is at work in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Um uh brother he was first. What would you say? Oh, yo, uh, what's up brother? Yeah. how line up? Just, by, just like came by receiving Christ. Mhm. That That's it, right? Right. No oh, right and I, and I don't think I mean a lot of people this is things that the spirit of god is doing in us but I don't think that we actually have the knowledge and and that like we're like in step with everything that god is doing in us uh but these things are necessary right and that's what the the writer of hebrews says seek uh we don't believe that anyone will will uh um like it says in hebrews uh 1412 uh, Pursue peace and the holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Not even the thief on the cross will see the Lord without His holiness. That, that word is the same word for sanctification. So we're saying that His sanctification. This is what God did when He believed. He was justified and sanctified by faith, like instantaneously. But right? because of His life, we can't necessarily see His works. But He was sanctified, and and that was what uh, that's what God had ordained for Him. You know. I think that's just- on the cross of being, the fact that we are saved by grace through faith. And sanctified. And sanctified. If he were to live, you would have seen his work, period. That's right. And we did, I would say, on the
1: cross. Exactly, exactly. The fact
0: that he expressed... He was rebuking the other man. You know, uh, the fact that he, he expressed
1: true saving faith is, in and of itself, a sanctifying work. Don't want to fall into the into the uh, realm of works-based righteousness, you know, works-based salvation. Uh, but <clears throat> we are a, a religion of good works. Hmm. Um, we, we we don't want to separate the two so much so that we end up saying, "Well, as long as you simply believe, uh, you're going to be saved." Well, we we'll obviously know that's not true according to scriptures. We see that people's lives are changed in such a manner. To where they live for God and live toward God because of the gratefulness they have in their heart for God giving them grace. Period. Uh, So, so I'm not ashamed to say that I must work for the Lord, not for my salvation, but because of my
0: salvation. And we would say the same for Jesus. He did good works. Clearly, was saved. Well, yeah, he didn't have to go through like all the. He was our salvation. He he right. Right. People, so. Willingly yeah, as um, well. well. I mean, just one more thing. Yeah. Christianity is a works-based religion. It's how it <laughs> works that we're, uh, that we're saved by. I know where he's going with that. Heresy! <laughs> <works>
1: <laughs> I mean, ultimate, ultimately, if we had the capability of walking perfectly in God's law, we would be saved. The fact is that we're, we can't and we're not. And that's why we look to Christ. It is because His work that that was done.
0: We're saved by Christ's work. We need to get Brother Robert a pulpit so he can just (laughs) just kind of sit down. That's right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, the axe is laid at the root, right? For everyone that does not bear good fruit. Uh but you see the you see like the you see like this definitive sanctification. I'll go through just a couple of verses with you. Man, I want someone to get through so much. So much here. Uh he himself bore first Peter two twenty four. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That's something that we are partaking of this. We are partaking in an event of death. That's why Jesus died on the cross, that we might die to sin, dying to the realm of sin, the sphere of sin, that we would die to it and be alive in the sphere of righteousness, alive to God. Uh, it was Christ who gave himself to redeem us, Right from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Ephesians 5.25, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her. Um, and so in sanctification, God is not only washing, as J.C. Riles says, he's not only washing the sinner in his own blood, but he also separates him from his natural love of sin and the world and puts a new principle in his heart and makes him live practically godly in life. And so this is what we see that the language of sanctification is used in reference to some decisive action at the inception of the Christian life, right? And this is what happens when God, when God effectually calls them by His grace. He separates them from the realm of sin into the realm of service to God. And this is, you know, you can go to 1 Corinthians, for instance. Go there. 1 Corinthians. Uh, one two. 1 Corinthians one two. Right. Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, and he said, and he's writing this letter to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling. So through the effectual calling of God, he's going to sanctify them. This is a past act in a moment of time where God says, I am separating you from that life, calling you unto myself, right? This is a definitive act, a final act, an ultimate act where God does in a moment of time. And so um, this is where we can find uh, the language of this decisive act of God. It's wrought by the operations of God's grace. So every man or woman, right, he says that we might die to sin, That we might die to sin. So every man or woman is either dead in sin, right? Or dead to sin. If you have to die to sin, you're obviously dead in sin. And you have to die to it. So what does it mean to be dead in sin? To To be dead in sin? To be dead to sin? To be unregenerate? Would you, who? Unsaved. Unsaved, right? To be dead in your sins? To be in bondage to your sins, go with me to Romans 6. Let's go over to Romans 6. We'll hang out here for a little bit. Oh, we only have a couple minutes. So much here. Okay. So, to be dead in sin is to be alive to the realm of sin. Right? To be dead in sin, it's to be alive to the realm of sin. This is the place of your habitation. The place where you like to live is in sin you're dead in sin therefore you are alive to sin now to be dead to sin is to be alive to the realm of righteousness dead in sin is alive to sin dead to sin is alive to god alive to righteousness does that make sense and i i i just use an example i know we don't have too we don't have that much time i'm not really good at illustrations but i have one um there's a there's, this is a, just for example there's a a a family a family of people we can call them adam right this we can just call these people adam everyone is dead in their sins uh, this is their activity in the realm of sin, what I'm about to describe. So we have this family, right? They, they, they live in this house together. Uh, a member wakes up. He joins the rest. They're all at breakfast, right? They're eating bacon and eggs, uh, what we all love to eat. Uh, but they're in this realm of sin, right? Not saying that eating bacon and eggs is a realm of sin. This is an illustration. Um, uh, but 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 they're dead in their sins, and this is their activities. This is their life that they live, right? So one member wakes up, and he joins the rest who are all eating bacon and eggs. They're all gratifying their appetites with their food. Uh, then he needs to go to work. He gets changed. He goes outside. He sees his car, this beautiful Corvette he's worked his whole life for, luster in his eyes. He's glaring at it. He loves it. He's obsessed with it. Um, and then he's going off to work and he takes a couple of glances at his attractive secretary and he's just lusting, out of, uh, lusting, lusting after her. And then after he talks to her, he goes and he worries about business and he's filled with the love of money, right? Filled with the love of money, looking at the stock markets. Where's the money today? I just want to know. This is the reality of his life. No God in his life. And then he, after work, he goes and he wants to shoot hoops with the boys. And in the middle of the game, he falls down and has a heart attack. Before the ambulance can get there, he dies, right? He dies. Now, if I pick this man up and I take him back to the breakfast table where he's eating bacon and eggs, what's his response to this? What's his response in this activities of sin? Well, if he's, he's, he's dead and I pick this man up by carrying him back to the table, what's his response? He's not gonna respond. Why? Because he's dead. Now if I take him to, out to his car and before he's filled with this luster in his eyes, what's his response to this car now? Nothing. He's dead. I take him to the same secretary, right? Where he is before he's filled with lust for her. He thinks he's attractive secretary. Like what's his response to her? He's dead. He's dead. He's died. To sin, And Jesus Christ is saying that, that I myself went to the cross and bore your iniquities, that you might die to sin, right? Leaving this realm of sin, the activities of sin, so that you might live to God. And all the members of your family, like Psalm 37, 6 says, He passed away, and lo, he was not. I sought for him, and he could not be found. Right? Does that make sense? I sought for him, he could not be found. And the members of your family are now like 1 Peter 4, 4. It says that uh, in this, they are surprised that you do not run from them. What happened to you? You have died. God has sanctified you, brought you out of the realm and activities of sin into the realm of righteousness where you are alive to God, where you are uh, separated for service to serve God in which you were not doing that beforehand. And so a practical question, this is a good response. This is a, this is a, a proper response from, from like your old family who you used to do life with, who you used to live in sin with. Practical question is, what does this say about you if you do not receive this response from the old realm of sin in which you once walked? Right? Do people actually look at you and see a difference in your life because you've been sanctified? Right? Take heed, brothers and sisters, if you are still a regular in the realm of sin and spiritual recklessness. Right. Just like first Corinthians six. Right. Such were some of you, but you are washed and sanctified and justified by our Lord Jesus Christ and by his spirit. And I know that we're running out of time here. Um, I should probably wrap it up. Let me pray for us and we'll get back. We'll go to uh, we'll go to service. Father, thank you for the time you've given us. Uh, Lord, I thank you, and I pray that you would use this time of teaching to benefit our souls that we would and benefit our minds that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of your word and Lord, I just pray that you would uh, bless the following service in our worship as we seek to glorify you. Amen.